Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. What messages have you received about being a woman? Are they good? Are they healthy? Or are they hurting you? This episode highlights how women have been robbed of their power, an innate power that we culturally diminish and don't understand. Women tend to feel more shame and lack self-belief, and I wanted to talk about why this was happening, and it kept leading me back to our patriarchal culture and the wise woman herself, Jane Hardwick Collings. Jane is a former midwife, teacher, mentor, author, mother, and postmenopausal grandmother, and encourages we as women do the work of reclaiming our feminine power through reconnection. Jane says that she woke up to the patriarchy in her time as a midwife in the 80s when she recognized obstetric abuse in the name of safety. She went on to support home births for 30 years and learned a lot about herself and feminine power in this time. Jane now focuses on teaching and mentoring and running the School of Shamanic Womancraft, an international women's mystery school. She is someone you want to know and you're going to learn a heck of a lot from her. I'd heard your name sort of float around for the last couple of years, but it wasn't until I watched Birth Time World that I was like, who is this woman? (laughs) And so I did some Googling (laughs) and found you on Instagram and the like. Um, Yeah, so I've sort of been following you for, what's that, a couple of years properly. Um, And I'm a big fan of your work. And everything you say makes my body scream yes. What led you to becoming who you are today? A teacher, a mentor, um, a fighter for womanhood and rites of passage and waking witches, like you said. Um, What led you here? Well, you know, there's a saying that um, everything that has gone gone before prepares you for the next whatever it is that you're doing. So basically... My, prep- my preparation for this role was to wake up as a 25-year-old in my midwifery training and see what was going on there that was serving the system, not the women and their babies. So the first thing that happened for me was an awakening, a dawning, a realisation of what I kind of thought or knew was going on, but I didn't actually, couldn't touch it, you know, like I was just growing up in the world and having my experience, but it wasn't until I did my midwifery training that I could see the patriarchy in its stark dreadfulness, actually. You know, there's that, so that, so waking up then and then moving into the world of home birth, which is is a whole other world to mainstream birth. And it's the place where 
women and their families are taking responsibility for themselves and their births, not handing it over. And I mean, don't, I mean no disrespect for women who choose hospital births, but I really think that there's something very important for everybody to do, which is research. And that, um, you know, like if, if women investigated birthing um, opportunities or information in the same way that they do and plan for their weddings, for example, then, then there'd be a very different situation. And, you know, to be fair, we've grown up in this patriarchy and we've been led to believe that we can trust the doctor and hopefully that's the, that's the case in many situations, but I bet you there'd be many listeners of this podcast who've had personal experiences where that, that um, belief has been challenged, you know, so, so basically me waking up to the patriarchy and then moving into the home birth world and where I was a home birth midwife for 30 years and like that is, that is a warrioress on the edge to be fair, you know, home birth midwives who are so often demonized and, and seen as, you know, radical and stupid or whatnot, they are the angels on the front line, to be fair. Mm. And we need to be integrating home birth with hospital birth. Like it's supposed to be, it's a team, you know, many other countries do it. So Mm. learning about the world outside medical mainstream world was huge for me. And then having my own babies was a massive unraveling for me. You know, but our births are our teachers and my births were such big teachers for me where I was able to learn so much and then figure out like a map by what was happening to me. And then because I was practicing as a home birth midwife when I had my own babies, I could bring that those learnings straight into my practice and and see, you know, what was going on, like what was your relationship with your menstrual cycle that led to this birth experience, etc. You know, like that's not in the in the questions in preparation for birth. And how did your menstrual cycle go? You know, like but it's so linked. Like basically the other piece that helped me was connecting what I was doing besides being a home birth midwife was learning about shamanism and um, shamanic practices and the shamanic worldview. And the shamanic worldview is the interconnectedness of everything. It's the um, seeing the world as not isolated incidents, but that everything is connected, you know, like the, the weather is connected to the, to the uh, animals and the, and the vegetation, like, you know, duh, right? The interconnectedness of everything. So when I brought the shamanic worldview that I was already learning and practicing and doing sweat lodges and circles and vision quests and all of that. I, then I met a teacher, Janine Pavadi Baker, who is somebody that everybody to do, everybody who's interested in birth needs to do their research and find Janine Pavadi Baker. She's dead now. She died in 2005. She was a great teacher and mentor of mine. And Actually, on her deathbed, I promised that I would continue her work, and that's what the School of Shamanic Womancraft is all about. It was, I went to a um, pre-conference workshop of hers in Texas in 1991, maybe, and uh, it was called Shamanic Midwifery, and I like, whoa, I want to go and see what this is all about. And that was really like the next big step for me, was putting my worlds together midwifery and shamanism and so um, 
my promise to her on her deathbed was to continue her work. And long story short, there's a bit of information to give you before that, but the School of Shamanic Womancraft was called the School of Shamanic Midwifery for many, many years until the government mm. told me to change it because they own the term midwife. Yes. Which is an interesting mm. piece. So basically my birth experiences with this shamanic worldview helped me unravel my life, actually, to figure out why I had the birth experience for my first baby, which was a caesarean after a planned home birth, I was able to look at it with this shamanic worldview to see where that fitted in my life. It was not somebody's fault. It was not something that went wrong. It was the birth that I had to have to teach me what I needed to learn about myself on my journey of life. So my births were massive, massive teachers to me. And so I then started doing workshops and about the menstrual cycle and shamanic dimensions of pregnancy. And I started the School of Shamanic Midwifery in 2008. And it's been going, its first thing was 2009. And it's been going for, you know, 13, 14 years. International Women's Mystery School. And I, I did all of that. Interestingly, I started that at the beginning of my menopause journey. So that's cool. And I didn't know that at the time. You know, that was a retrospective kind of, aha, uh -huh, that's interesting. And um, <laughs> so I, I do what I do because I must. You know, I have dedicated my life to the goddess. And what that means for me is to do what I can for the earth and for the sake of healing the wounded feminine and the wounded masculine in our culture as much as I can contribute to that and to do my bit, whatever I can, to help ensure that the earth that our great-great-grandchildren are going to inherit is something that I'm proud of passing on to them. So, so that's really my mission. And to summarize that, basically it's called Waking the Witches. And I love that. Honestly, anybody listening, I feel like would be like, what a woman. But you had some really amazing influences, um, such as Janine Pavati Baker. Yes, I'm going to look her up because I definitely haven't heard of her. Um, but she sounds like the Jane of the um, 20th century. <laughs> well, if I would... If it would be the most amazing honour to imagine that I was the next in line from her and I've certainly continued her teachings and mm. I feel like, you know, part of it, I represent her lineage, right? And this is, this is one of the ways, one of the things that she used to say is that we live in the cult of the expert and so we've been encouraged to just hand over our power to the experts, which, you know, in some ways there's, that's goodness in that but not in everyday life, you know? Mm. Um, and so she said, well, that with, about the cult of the expert, but I see that one of the ways to unhook from the cult of the expert in our everyday life is actually to, to use the concept of lineages. So, you know, like I represent her lineage and the School of Shamanic Womancraft and everybody who comes to my workshops then carries that lineage. You now carry it. So... The, the information continues and it doesn't belong to anybody. Like, you know, this yeah. is feminine wisdom and knowledge. And mm -hmm. it's the stuff that's been lost to us for 
millennia and millennia and millennia. And part yeah. of what's happening now, like we see it everywhere, you know, it's the reclaiming of the feminine. And we need to do that within ourselves and in our world, in our culture, like in the corporate world now, like feminine leadership values are the thing. So, you know, like part, a big part of the biggest problems that women experience physically is because we have denied feminine knowledge. And what that fundamentally means is cyclical wisdom. So this sort of leads me to um, your ebook that I read, Her Story, which I absolutely loved. And it was sort of like stuff I knew but didn't know. And I find, you know, when we say words like patriarchy, people are quite threatened by that term and they don't like it. Um, in my circles anyway, that's what I find. But I find applying the context of her story actually helps people understand um, patriarchal culture and why it matters. So can you tell me about a little bit of her story and then why you think it's actually important for women to understand her story? Yeah. Well, first of all, like I pulled together this document you're talking about, the her story, like when was it like? ages and ages ago and um, just the name her story like mm. as opposed to his story or history you know like and we're seeing more and more examples of this in our modern times that the the victors write the history because it yes. supports what they did you know like for example there are lots of countries in various educational situations that are leaving out really important terrible stories of colonization for example yes okay so the her story is her story as opposed to his story and it's basically um, something that we need to remember because it's kind of been wiped out in our knowledge or like you said you knew it but you didn't know it you know and Many women say, or, or men who read it too, I knew bits of that, but reading it all together, I see like, oh my God, what's happened? So basically, we need to know this her story because there's a saying that people who don't remember their history are condemned to repeat it, you know? And we see that so often. We've seen that over and over and over again. And actually, it's what's happening in different ways anyway everywhere which is the oppression of the feminine so not just women but the feminine and so this hurt and, and also the other wonderful um, answer to why do we need to know it comes from the Buddha and he was famous for saying that if you want to know why you are where you are then look where you've come from you know like duh um, <laughs> And so we, I think that when women and men read the herstory, or I've uh, recorded it, so it's an audio book too, and there's an, there are some other people who've done that as well, that when people see all this together, then a lot of stuff makes sense. You know, it's kind of like missing pieces in the jigsaw puzzle or something. And, and it's all, they, this information has been suppressed because it doesn't support, you know, the current story. But basically, what, what we learn when we read the her story 
is the effects of the patriarchy, which is not a bad word, you know. Patriarchy just means a culture in which the masculine is the dominant way. And um, it's not anybody's fault. It's, you know, and, and we've all, the, the biggest issue here is we've all internalised the patriarchy. So there's the patriarchy, the culture out there, which is basically what we see where with all the symptoms and stories of women being less than, for example, and then there's the way we have taken it inside where we've got our own internalised patriarchy, which for women keeps us thinking that we need to either... Um, go along with whatever's going on or be quiet or be really educated or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So be other than what we are. I mean, we may be all of those things too, but the feminine way has been left out of the patriarchal way. I think that probably the most important thing is for women just to read the history so they can understand the things that they feel and think that they don't know why they think or feel those things. Like, so yeah. basically, you know, back when this all started happening, which was around 3000 BC, so it's a long time ago, but it's our roots, right? And um, there were invasions and women were enslaved and exploited and exiled. And there was archaeological evidence that depicted a time of large-scale destruction of the Neolithic cultures of Europe and the Near East. And the patriarchal tribes rose quickly to power and imposed their ideologies on the people they conquered. Like the priestesses of the goddess were um, forced to marry the patriarchal leaders and the patriarchal religious authorities everywhere changed ancient systems of matrilineal inheritance to put property in the hands of men. So it was all about property and beliefs, and, and, and women became the property of their fathers and their husbands, and the church built places of worship over the top of the goddess shrines. You know, like, we need to know this story. They changed the stories from the divine feminine to the divine masculine. And it gets worse because menstrual shame, which is actually the thing that is one of the biggest problems because it affects everybody, not just women, has its origins in, which, you know, menstrual shame is like the... Um, the killer weapon, because menstrual shame leads to body shame. Body shame leads to low self-esteem and all manner of wounded behaviours, including eating disorders, self-harm, and horribly so dangerous and risky sexual decision-making in teenagers. You know, like, mm. that's where all this comes from. And Sharon Maloney, an awesome Queensland women's health practitioner who's written a fantastic book, can't remember what it's called, Awakening to Your Power or something like that, but she's done a PhD on all of this stuff and she says that menstrual shame is one of the organising principles of the patriarchy to maintain the oppression of women. Now, back when all the current major religions began, so Christianity, Islam, Judaism and Hinduism, 
all have anti-menstrual sentiment in the key texts of their faiths. So, women who menstruate are unclean, impure, and are responsible for everything from failing crops to contaminating meat. You know, like, hello? And should be sent away and, yeah, as if you're, you're shunned for that period of time. Yes. I remember I grew up in a religious household and I remember reading this stuff. Okay, like now, you know, that's the beginning. And yeah. all we have to do is bring common sense to this issue and know that one of the main teachings of the cycles, which are happening whether we're paying attention or not, right? We are cyclical beings. We live on the earth. It's full of cycles. Whatever happens at the beginning of something affects what unfolds. And so that our ma- the major... Religions started with that. Mm. And then everybody yeah. forgot. It's like the it's like the 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 evil spell that was cast that everybody forgot about. So the way mm. I like to think about it is like we are all under a patriarchal slumber spell which has us blind or asleep actually asleep to our power and you know it doesn't take too much thinking and researching to realize how powerful women are and what it has taken to have them think they're not yeah and the way that they do that or we do that there's no they here this is everybody's co-creating this Mm. is through our rites of passage yeah well, this is something that definitely stood out to me because I, as I grew up and started realizing things or having this slow awakening, I thought about how women were just very misunderstood. The way we thought, the way we felt, our bodies, um, yeah, our menstrual cycles, and then obviously going into things like birth and postpartum and the fourth trimester and et cetera. Um, yeah, I just sort of had this question on my mind, you know, women are very misunderstood. And then we come to rites of passage, which I've sort of been learning about the last 18 months uh, on and off. And some would say that we've lost these rights and that we're sort of trying to regain them. So what were you referring to when you say rites of passage and what is it about honouring these rites that actually empower us? Okay, so we've got lots of rites of passage in our lives and there are physical ones and cultural ones, although they're all cultural because whatever happens at a rite of passage creates and reinforces culture. So the... Rites of passage that we need to focus on, well, that I want to focus on in this talk, are also called the women's mysteries or the blood mysteries. These are the rites of passage where we change physically, like absolutely physically, from one version of ourselves to the next version of ourselves, and we never, ever, ever can even return to that original version of ourselves. So so that, so those are our own birth, like how we're born, our menarche, our first period, our first sexual experience, and then every pregnancy, because every pregnancy results in a birth. Whatever ends a pregnancy is a birth, 
whether that's a pregnancy loss. We used to say miscarriage. We've got to get rid of that word because it implies there's something wrong with the mother, right? And that's not usually the case, right? It's a non-viable situation. So every pregnancy results in a birth. Whatever ends the pregnancy is the birth. So an abortion is, an, is a birth. A miscarriage, an early pregnancy or late pregnancy loss is a birth. And so we need to use those as our rites of passage as well. Not like, oh, get over it and try again. Like, that is so fucked. That is so wounding. So every pregnancy and every birth. And then menopause, whether it's a natural menopause, a surgical menopause, a chemical menopause, or a premature menopause, whatever, whatever ends the reproductive fertility cycle is the next rite of passage. And then death. So then there are other rites of passage which reinforce the culture, like marriage, like a wedding, you know, and, right. and graduation from an academic institution, all those things. They're rites of passage, but they're, they're more head stuff, right, and lifestyle stuff as opposed to these physical things. Because what happens at a rite of passage, whatever happens, and yes, we've lost them, but the thing is that they still happen. Whatever happens is the rite of passage. And this is particularly important for everybody to think about in terms of teenage boys. Like if you don't mark their transition at puberty into manhood, they'll figure out some way of doing it themselves and it's usually not pretty. It's actually mm. probably very dangerous and risky and, you know, you've heard stories about that. So marking these rites of passage is significant because whatever happens is the rite of passage. And what, what that, why that matters is that what happens at a rite of passage, whatever happens or doesn't happen, teaches the person going through the rite of passage subliminally, like they don't even realise they're being taught. They are enculturated, which is just a nice way of saying brainwashed. They learn from their experience how their culture values the next role they're going into. So at Menarch, that's woman. First sexual experience, it's a sexual woman, you know, sexual being. Uh, birth, motherhood, and menopause into the second half of your life, your wise woman years. So whatever happens at our rites of passage teaches how our culture values that role we're going into and therefore how we have to behave to be accepted by the culture or not. Mm. So most people... Most people, most women don't realise what's going on at Menarch. You know, you're, you're a teenager or maybe you're younger and that's a bit tricky. But um, the most important thing around those ages is to fit in, right? You've got to be like your friends or else you stand out and that's too scary. So, um, but often women wake up to this whole phenomena when they come around to having their babies. And mm. often women wake up to this situation about the impact of their menarch when they experience like dreadful menstrual pathology or often and and that can include infertility and endometriosis and polycystic ovary syndrome blah 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 but the saddest situations oh hang on and and at birth what can also happen is what's called a is what's called a shadow awakening when someone has a traumatic birth experience and they're like what the fuck just happened to me 
and then they can unravel and see where why it happened you know what what mm. it connects to in your life story such that it's a teaching not a curse and then the saddest stories i see are around menopause when women kind of figure out well i don't want to be on drugs for the rest of my life to stop menopause what's going on here and then everything unravels and they're like shit why didn't anybody tell me about this? Why mm. didn't I why didn't I know the significance of my menstrual cycle and my menarche? Why didn't I know that how I give birth was making me into the mother I am? You know, all of that kind of stuff. So women who wake up to this at menopause, they often wake up very mad. And that's a force to to gather together, you know. We've got to get the grandma army in action to, you know take control so so these rites of passage are um, so important to to reclaim because it's where we can hack the culture Mm. so we can hack the culture by giving the person the woman going through her rite of passage basically a positive message you know like it doesn't take too many interviews with women to hear their dreadful stories of their first period and you know most women and i've heard billions of not billions that's a very big exaggeration hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories about women's menarche experiences and um, we've also done a lot of research on this we did a big project with the victorian women's trust a few years ago there's a great book that has all the results of this it's called about bloody time the menstrual revolution we have to have and the research that we discovered from interviewing about three and a half thousand women from different places around the world and other other ways was just how messed up women are around their menstrual cycles you know like mm. 34 percent of women didn't even know what it was when the blood came you know like starting womanhood like that you know what does that tell you bad stuff you know and 70 percent of the girls who were interviewed who were in the age bracket of 11 to 16 so they would have just started their period some you know some of them recently Mm -hmm. or a few years ago 70 percent of them liked nothing about it now we know where that's going menstrual shame leads to body shame blah 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 and if you arrive to give birth with menstrual shame you have no confidence in the abilities of your body you don't know that you can trust your body you don't you you just think it's an inconvenience whatever you learned at menarche is what you is what formulates your brainwashing about your body mm. so we have to reclaim these because we can hack the culture there so for example women who are initiated into womanhood at menarche if they are welcomed into menarche in the way that they're actually hardwired to expect you know so just like a baby is hardwired to expect that when it's born its mother will look after it so too is a teenage or menarche aged girl hardwired to expect that her mother or mother equivalent if she doesn't have one will teach her about her body teach her about the menstrual cycle not just like you know the anatomy and physiology but the meaning of it the purpose of it the the magic of it the opportunity of it the the renewal replenishment rejuvenation of it so that she can enter womanhood basically with an owner's manual 
for her body rather than just be confused and led to believe that she doesn't need to have a menstrual cycle, that everything is the fault of the menstrual cycle, blah, 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 blah. So if we initiate girls into womanhood in an empowered way, they're not going to roll over when somebody tells them, I know your body better than you, so you do what I say when you're having a baby. I'm the expert. They're more likely to say, how could you know my body better than me when I've been practicing my menstrual cycle for the last however many years and I actually know how my body talks to me and it's not talking to you, so I'll call you if I need your help. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) No, I see the power in this. I really do. And sort of as you were talking then, I was trying to apply um, some context to each section. So when we come to... Uh, menstruation so your first menstrual cycle your first period what are the messages we get right oh yes your menarche so we get um it's all very hush hush it's um you know wrap everything up so nobody can see um and be quiet you know you can't even be heard to open a packet in the toilet true very true yes it's all very secretive and then the first sexual experience, I, I would say in my current understanding is that that would all revolve around the male's pleasure rather than female pleasure. And we sort of learn that throughout our sexual experiences. And porn, because yep. that's where all our teenagers get their sex education from, yes. whether we like that or not. Yes, absolutely. And kids as young as eight, and I've even seen research as young as five and six are viewing pornography. It's awful. So then we get to birth and, or even pregnancy and birth, uh, because they're very connected. And the messages that we get are, are a lot about the baby and not ourselves. And we sort of have to give up ourselves for a baby um, rather than being viewed as like sort of one being because when babies are in your room it's one you're together as one but yeah they sort of separate us and then we get all these negative messages and then you become a mother and it's suck it up I did it you can do it it's sort of yeah these negative messages infiltrate down for generations and then that's called the red thread because that's what happens too is that the patriarchy is reinforced down our mother line, our red thread. Yes. So we all inherit our mother's wounds who came from our grandmother, great-grandmother, all the way back, and we're just mm. the current story of it in a, in, a, in a weirder world than they could have even imagined. And so, yeah, we just keep living it until yeah. someone says, hang on a minute, this is just too weird to be true, and mm-hmm. everything unravels. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's happened in my generations and I'm sort of that cycle breaker (laughs) because I think about my grandmother. She didn't know what her period was when she got it. She thought she was dying, had to, she told a friend she thought she was dying and they worked out. She just had her period. Um, She was also a woman in that time where if you, particularly a teen pregnancy, you were shunned and put away and your babies were taken from you. Um, Terrible, terrible things. She's lived a really hard life. Um, And then, I, you know, 
my mother having six children in a patriarchal culture, feeling overwhelmed because you're a woman, you stay at home, this is your role, you're stuck in that way. And, yeah, I really resisted all of that. And I didn't believe in that. So I feel like I am that cycle breaker in a way. (laughs) Thank the goddess. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, indeed. I'm just trying to apply, you know, the things that you're saying so that it, um, others can apply it to themselves as well and, and in, in their own personal context. Yeah, and even in your cycle breakingness, you will be, you know, tripped by the brainwashing that you've experienced, you know, like, yes. oh, I better not say that or yes. I've said too much, like whatever, whatever your men are, because whatever happens at our first period teaches us how we're supposed to behave as a woman. Yeah. Hide, it does. Don't make a noise. Whatever you do, don't don't let anybody see you being weak. Don't draw any attention to yourself. Blah blah blah. You know, so many variations of the same thing. Yeah. So you know, just by initiating our daughters into womanhood at Menarch in an empowering way is going to change everything. And yeah, we should be learning about this stuff. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I can't wait to be teaching my daughter. I feel like you know, I've got a really young sister. She's only 16. So I feel like I'm sort of training in a way with her. Yeah, and I do, I do, I see a difference in her in comparison to myself and my other sister who, you know, we're late 20s, 30s. So big, big difference just in that generational well, gap. There. And with social media. Yes. That's actually yes. the. The really tricky extra ingredient of now. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the work you do with women is healing. You've touched on it, but what are we healing from and why? Well, I think it has its roots in the her stories, you know, like the mm-hmm. oppression of, of women and the feminine. But what, like, on, at the front line, what the healing is, is healing from previous traumatic rites of passage. So healing mm-hmm. from. A lot of women are doing work to reclaim their menarch because our, our, our rites of passage are not a curse. They're a pattern we need to acknowledge and then work with rather than get worked by it. And the thing about healing your menarch or reclaiming your menarch is that you, we, can, we can tell ourselves a new story. So we've had this shit experience where we've been initiated into womanhood to maintain the oppression, but... And, and then our, our life is run like that. But we can take the time to re, rewrite the message to ourselves because we know about neuroplasticity, right? It's a thing. Mm-hmm. We know that. So we can rewire our brain with a positive message about what it means to be a woman. So that's yeah. the number one thing to do for everybody is to reclaim their menarch and figure out what their experience taught them about being a woman and then come up with a new new thing. Like, you know, just write the negative in the positive. My body is powerful. I'm a worthwhile creature, blah, 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 you know, instead of mm-hmm. all of that. So healing from previous rites of passage, menstrual shame, as we've talked about, and because and me, menstrual shame shows up as menstrual pathology and body dysmorphia and all of that. That's yes. what menstrual shame leads to. Mm-hmm. So those are usually the things that are like the tips of the iceberg, you know, the thing that we see. And it's, um, it's, it's to do with a need that hasn't been met, you know. So, so healing 
menstrual pathology. I think that's probably the main place that women kind of come into this work or traumatic birth experiences where sexual trauma and birth trauma, you know, they are related. Yeah. And, um, and so there's a lot of healing around birth trauma to, to, to understand the teaching of it, right? Not who did what wrong, but why did this happen to me? And that is huge. So that, that, that's a really helpful thing to understand. And then apart from those kind of obvious things, it's just the healing from being misunderstood or unheard and unseen, you know, like that's the, like we've got it good, right? But there are plenty of women in other parts of the world who, you know, it's the worst it's ever been, right? So we can't just think about ourselves either, but we have to think about the feminine and women. But the healing that has to happen is, is something that is, um, you know, the next step. So, for example, we need to learn from everything that's gone before in our lives. We need to tell our stories. You know, we need to listen to each other, tell our stories. Then we need to lick our wounds and choose a healed path forward. Mm. So, because the other big clue here is with rites of passage work, healing work, that it's in our rites of passage, those transformational times, where we see our life story unfold, the lessons we've you know, come to learn or how our mother line red thread is playing out. So mm. figuring out all of this, our own story, the generational trauma we've inherited and the idea that maybe our lives have a purpose and that everything is a teaching is a really good way to to come at this healing work. And and really another huge thing that is needing to be healed and we're doing a lot to heal in our circles is healing the sisterhood. You know, we've been we've been set against each other. And the wounded sisterhood is the dominant situation and so many women come to this work not trusting women or having had bad experiences and blah and blah. Now Another thing we have to realise is what created that. And what created that is a age-old, very, um, uh, I was going to say useful, but it's a, it's a war tactic. It's called divide mm. and conquer, and it works. So when women are divided, they are so much easier to conquer because they all think that they're on their own and they're crazy, actually, you know, the crazy menopausal woman, the crazy postnatal woman, the crazy menstrual... Like, you know, like, yeah. like, we're not crazy. So we pit against each other, we gossip, we compete, we um, judge, you know? Like, mm. so I would just like to suggest anybody who's judging anybody to just turn that backwards onto themselves and think, what is it about that in your own self that feels so bad? And do that healing yourself. Because if you heal your own self, you're not going to take it out on everybody else. So healing the wounded sisterhood is a priority as well. Because divided, you know. Yeah, we need each other. And do you think that you have to have this awakening to the patriarchy in order to begin healing? Do you think that's a necessity? Well, I think that that just happens in the healing process because it's the right. fundamentals that underpin all the practices. There's another way to look at the patriarchy and awakening to the patriarchy. A lot of people use the analogy of a fish swimming in water. 
Like a fish is swimming in water and they don't even know that they're swimming in water, right? They're just a fish. And then if a fish recognised the water, then they would know that they were in something as a fish. So it's the same way people use that analogy for culture. So we're just having our lives, blah, blah, blah. But when we wake up or realise, oh, we're having our lives within a construct of a culture, patriarchal culture, then a lot of things make sense. So, yes, I think it's important because then we don't have to take it personally. It's not my life is fucked and everything goes wrong. It's actually, it's context. Yeah. And so, yes or no, they awaken or they don't to the patriarchy, but, but that's not, that doesn't have to be the first thing. There'll be plenty of things kind of um, going on in everybody's life that are the tips of the iceberg of how the culture has affected them. And that's all you, know, that's all you need to do, is go to the thing that's arising, the thing that has, gets the most attention, the thing that hurts the most. You know, like, it's, it's the classic scenario of the squeaky door is the one that gets fixed, right? So the thing that's making the most noise in your life will just be the entry point for the unravelling of the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm loving this. I'm sort of having my own epiphanies. <laughs> I have to go and write them all down. Um, okay, I wanted to chat to you specifically about birth because in season two of this podcast, I've been kind of honing in on birth. Um, and I find you're very good at talking about this topic. And I saw you in Birth Time World. I've listened to you, I've read about you, and then obviously knowing a little bit about your story, how you were a student midwife, you had this awakening, you graduated but then left and went into home birth world, particularly back in, was that the 80s? Do you, would you think that home birth was more accepted back then than it is now? Or do you think it's much the same? No, I think it was more accepted back then. Isn't that interesting? Because now I find the narrative around home births is that they're dangerous. There's still people in my life that say that to me. Um, don't, you know, don't even mention free birth. <laughs> it's even, yeah, more radical. Um, do you know what the meaning you... of radical is? I think I know the meaning, but you might Returning to its original form. How interesting. So free birth is radical. It is how we used to do it. Yes. Yeah. Like radical midwifery is practicing midwifery in the way it's supposed to be, you know, original form. But we've given it another another meaning, which is interesting. Yeah, we have. It's against the the mainstream, right? It's radical. Yes. Yeah, and it is radical. It is against the mainstream because, but it is the original way. Yeah. So home birth, yeah. You had home births, but you did have... A particular experience with your first birth that turned into an, an emergency cesarean. Well, we call them emergencies, but they're not emergencies. Right. They're right. in labour cesareans. Okay. I want to know about your births, what you learnt from your births, but then also what you learnt from the home birth community and why uh, you think some women should consider having a home birth and why they would be less dangerous. Okay. So home birth is... Um... Like, you know, the most births in the world are home births. 80% of the births in the whole world happen at home and mostly without anybody who knows, who's a professional, okay? And Mm -hmm. we do not have a population problem on the planet, 
right? So birth clearly works. We've been led to believe that we need, that birth is dangerous and we need medical people there to manage the risks. You know, in some cases, really, really small amount of cases, that's going to be the case, but the problem is that the way birth's managed now is with so much unnecessary intervention that one thing leads to the next and um, pathology ends up happening, you know. So home birth has always been a crucible for midwifery learning. It's where midwives have been able to see what's actually normal, you know. Yeah. And also where we get to witness most likely, like this isn't the case for everybody, and of course, but home birth is where we get to see a mammalian animal feeling safe and having a physiological birth. All right? So physiological birth is the aim of the game, which basically means the bo- a woman's body has a baby. right? And um, the conditions required for physiological birth are being undisturbed, unwatched, basically supported in her need to feel safe and secure and everybody just shut up and let her just have a baby. So she doesn't get into her neocortex and have to answer everyone's questions and be scared by mm. their, their fears. So that, like, it can't happen in hospital because just by entering an institution to have your baby is giving you a lot of messages that, you know... Possibly you're not safe, or sometimes women feel safer in those hospitals. So wherever the woman feels safest is where she should have her baby. That's like the bottom line. But home birth is basically midwifery care. And midwifery care is where it's at, you know? like So midwives are the trained professionals in normal birth. Obstetricians are the trained professionals in abnormal birth, not normal birth. Mm. Most medical students never even see a physiological birth. There'd be very few obstetricians who've seen a physiological birth. You know, maybe if they watch nature program and watch other mammals give birth, they'd see that. But, you know, it's not what's happening most of the time. So home birth, all you have to do, actually, is look at the demographics of the people who choose home births and... Apart from being able to afford it, because obviously that's important, they are more yeah. highly educated and they've done their research and they can see that home birth is as safe, if not safer, in so many situations. And, and you know, so it's a no-brainer. And then the other part is that for women who, who have um, had experiences that put them in a higher-risk category according to, you know, the way that it's all looked at, a lot of them don't want to go to hospital because they don't want to subject themselves to the routine interventions that happen in those situations. So they're trying to avoid it. And in in some situations, even those women who have so-called high-risk situations end up having better outcomes in home births than they do in hospital births. So, like, the bottom line is you've got to do your research. So my experience through my births was like massive so as you as you said I um my first birth when I was 27 I was a home birth midwife and I was having a home birth and 
I ended up pushing for like four hours and I couldn't budge the baby's head. And I went to hospital for some support, you know, I got to the end of the line of what I could do, nothing was happening. And as I said, I had an in-second stage caesarean. There was no emergency. I was fine. My baby was fine. But what I realized was that the head that I couldn't budge was my own. I was trying to control the experience. I was, I was watching it from, a, from my midwifery mind. I, wasn't, I didn't let go. So what I, what I learned in unraveling my birth experience, so you know, I had my baby and I was stoked and all good. And then after a little while, I was thinking just how devastated and disappointed I was that I didn't get to push the baby out of my vagina. And I felt all these feelings, and then I realized, I, these feelings are very familiar to me. I have felt this kind of feeling before, and then before, and before. So what I got to do in unraveling and unpacking my birth, debriefing my birth, was to realize it wasn't a random thing. This was the culmination of my mindset, my beliefs, my attitudes, and my fears. This is what my... This is... This was the result of everything that had gone before in my life. I, so I did not surrender in my birth. You've got to surrender, right? You need to surrender. I was trying to control it. I did not surrender in my birth because I learned as a little person that it was too dangerous to surrender. So my inability, not the right word, my um, decision not to surrender when I was having my baby, which is a prerequisite, right? You have to surrender. My mm. lack of doing that is what created my birth experience, which was that in second stage caesarean, which actually in the debriefing process helped me unravel my whole life story of why I felt so unsafe in my life and therefore why that's what my birth looked like. And then... So, so that birth taught me about surrender because I didn't do it, right? So your births can teach you things you didn't do. It can teach you things you didn't have. A lot of women learn about the, the need for support because they didn't have any. And that's going to be a big teaching around the pandemic and birth. But, yeah, so I learned about surrender with my first birth and it unraveled my whole life story to me to understand why I did what I did the way I did it and my attitudes and my fears and... Because birth is our teacher, because it is what happens is a readout of what's going on in your in your mind. So then I, I learned about surrender, and then my next birth, two and a half years later, was a, a home birth, vaginal home birth after cesarean, back in a time when, you know, once a cesarean, always a cesarean, back in the mm. late 80s. And so taking the teaching and lesson and practice of surrender into my next birth, and I had a vaginal birth. And, you know, like the setup was not going to be that because even the obstetrician who was a friend, the cesarean guy, he was a friend and he was trying to help me feel okay about my experience. And he said, you know, Jane, your ischial spines, so that's the bottom part of the birth outlet in your pelvis, so, the, the diameter is so narrow, so you'll probably never be able to fit a baby out. I'm so sorry. You should probably just have caesareans. And, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
lying <laughs> with an epidural on a operating table. And so, like, I, I already know that all you have to do to um, open the diameters of your pelvis by three centimetres is squat. You know, like, so we are not the victims of a static diameter of our outlet of our pelvis, for example. So basically, um, in learning... So, so what I mean by that, like, I needed to go into my next birth, and what my next birth taught me, the VBAC at home, taught me about trust. Because if you're going to have a VBAC, you've got to trust birth, you know? Like, you really have yeah. to trust birth. Because everybody's scared shitless that wombs are going to... Rupture. rupture. Yeah. And then, you know, the importance of learning from your births, and, and this is what I learned from mine, is that you have to take the teaching from the previous one to the next one, or else you have to have a repeat performance to learn the same thing. So I learned surrender in my first one, trust in my second one, and then in my third birth I learned about presence, like present moment awareness, which was what actually ended up being the thing that, that helped me have the most amazing experience spiritual experience I ever had where I went into an altered state of consciousness in birthing my third baby I went from feeling so much pain and, and thinking I can't handle this to focusing on the pain not trying to get away from it focusing mm. on the pain which catapulted me into an altered state of consciousness where I felt zero pain and I, I looked like I was asleep but actually I was experiencing what I later researched and found out is called unity consciousness. When all the brain waves harmonize in a way that you, you, you feel unity. So I, my experience in the moment was that I couldn't tell if I was awake or asleep or whether I was the baby or me or whether I was the contraction or the womb. So like I didn't, but I, but I, I realized if I think too much about this, I'll probably snap myself out of it. So I stayed mm. in that. But the thing that was so dramatic was I went from, you know, pain of labor to zero pain by focusing yeah. on the pain. How interesting. Because I've heard of silent labor where actually my sister-in-law had silent labor. She was contracting with no pain, but had no birth prep or anything like that. So I just assumed that was just, her makeup that was her physiology and that's that's her birth but to be able to within yourself get to a place where it's not painful I would say that's very rare well I see I used that technique or phenomena or whatever understanding about focusing on the pain instead of trying to get away from it right that's the key mm. thing like yeah you pain as a portal like go to the pain you know and then yes. That. So I used that as a midwife, and, and from then on, the women who I suggested that to, they had their own experience of it, and it was definitely reduced pain and more altered state of consciousness. Now, remember that all the hormones are wanting that to happen anyway. You know, like the endorphin, the oxytocin, and all of that are, are, are creating, especially the endorphins towards the end of labor, are creating an altered state of consciousness, if you can be in it rather than out of it. So... You know, like, I think the key piece to all of this is about not running away from what's going on, but going deep into it. And also, like, it's not a, it's not a, it happens with, like, a runner's high, you know? Like, yeah. athletes, primo athletes experience the similar sorts of things to mm -hmm. altered states of consciousness with no pain when they push through the pain. 
not push away, but go into it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I also feel like it makes sense to me because I have birthed. Whereas explaining that to maybe somebody about to do it for the first time, that could sort of be confusing for them, um, particularly uh, with the messages that they've received about birth and and pain. And Our culture and hates pain. pain. Yeah. Yes. Avoid yes. it at all costs. Yes. Well, speaking of which, chatting to some people in my circles recently, and it'll just go along with the patriarchal culture that we've talked about, but they were talking about how, you know, poor women, it is such a burden to be a woman because of all the burdens that you carry, like birth and breastfeeding and menopause and periods and all of this sort of thing. And, you know, women can't have the same things as men because a woman's biology is what lets them down. That's a quote. I wanted to know what you thought about that. Well, you know, a woman's biology compared to whose, you know? Mm. This is the thing. Part of the her story is that where we've come from, the male experience or men have been seen as the norm and the female has been seen as the abnormal. Mm. And so seeing our, our biology as a burden teaches us to reject our body. We reject our body, we reject our power. You know, we're not brains. We're not, you know, we're not, as we've been led to believe, equal to men so long as we can do what they do. Yes. You know, like, there's a big clue in what you said, and that is that um, anything to do with women that's put down, feared, made a joke of, or invisibilized is a clue that it holds power. So to see our biology as a burden is a clue that it's actually where the power is. Mm. So in our own lives, and like, you know, like our biology only lets us down when we're trying to live like men. Yes. And actually you say that in your book, Blood Rights, The Spiritual Practice of Menstruation, you say... For the sake of equality, we have been pretending we are the same women and men, but we're not. We are very different. So it's, to me, it's not about equality. It's about equity because they are different and we are different and we require different things. So equity sounds better to me than equality, but we fight a lot for equality. That, that's part of the patriarchy, that the male is seen as the thing to be. Yeah. So that's that's all part of, of all of that. And equity, I agree. Like um but you know, equality in, in difference, not in sameness. Yeah. Speaking of your book, so Blood Rights, the Spiritual Practice of Menstruation. I wanted to buy this book and reading the spiritual practice of menstruation, I was kind of like, What? What do you mean the spiritual practice? I've read your book, but for those who haven't, can you explain what you mean? By spiritual practice? Yes. Well, the thing is that, you know, we all have got so many spiritual practices already, but we probably don't even realize it, you know. Whatever you do in the morning when you get up is your morning practice. And it sets up the day, you know. And whatever you do over and over reinforces the beliefs that support that. So, for example, you drag yourself out of bed to an alarm clock and go and have a coffee. What's that teaching you? What's that reminding you? 
never get enough sleep, I need coffee to get myself going, here I go into the grind of the day again, or whatever, you know. So your morning practice is your spiritual practice and it reinforces the beliefs that underpin it, which create the next whatever happens. So our menstrual cycle, how we are with our menstrual cycle is a spiritual practice whether we want it to be or not it's Mm. what we do speaks of our attitudes our beliefs and our fears and reinforces those so if one plugs oneself up with tampons carries on regardless and takes pain relief so they can get through the day what that reinforces is i have to ignore my body my work is more important than my health or my role in my job or whatever. And I have to pretend nothing's going on and just be a cog in this machine or whatever. I.e. I don't count. My body is an inconvenience. My biology is a burden, blah, 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 blah. Is all being reinforced by how a woman manages or doesn't or cares or doesn't her menstrual cycle, you know, so, so many of us just switch it off with the pill or other hormonal contraception. Mm. And that just takes us into this limbo land where we're not living cyclically how we're supposed to and has all kinds of weird ramifications. But the spiritual practice under, that reinforces whatever the belief is that underpins it. So, you know, so at the very least, do research about hormonal contraception and how um, it's probably better to be practicing contraception with cycle awareness than switching it all off because you know when you're on the pill if you're heterosexual you are attracted to men that you would not be attracted to if you're not on the pill yes i've heard this before that's pretty significant Yes. So, you know, like if you switch off your menstrual cycle for whatever reason, then you're not actually who you... You're not yourself. You're a modified... A drugged modified version of yourself. You're not firing on all engines or whatever you want to say. So, Mm -hmm. So, at the very least, listen to your body and what she tells you to do when you're bleeding. And she will not be telling you to carry on regardless. She will be begging you to pay attention. And at the very least, have a quiet day when you're bleeding on your heavy day. Like what that could look like is going to bed early or at the very best working from home. You know, it's a new thing, menstrual and menopause workplace policies. Until those are in place, there will be nothing like equality in the workplace. So, So the spiritual practice of menstruation is not something to think is too woo-woo or, or you know, countercultural. It's, it's part of reclaiming the menstrual cycle is actually what, and banishing menstrual shame is, is the work of our time. Mm. You know, without it, we are ignoring our bodies. And that's dangerous. An animal that ignores their body doesn't last very long. Yeah. So forget the word, change the words if they're too confronting and just listen to your body and go with the, like, you know, go with the flow. That's what the menstrual cycle is. And the other really important thing 
is that, like, as we all know, I hope, we're in a pretty fucked up situation on the planet right now because we have been ignoring cycles. The patriarchal yeah. culture is all about 24-7 availability and grow, 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 grow. We live in a growth economy. So no rest, right? That, and that happens in, in agriculture as well. You know, they don't let the land rest. So the vegetables that are grown are depleted because the soil is depleted because mm -hmm. it's been pushed and pushed and pushed, etc., etc., etc. So the clues for where we need to go now as, a cult, as everybody, we need to live earth-honouring and sustainable lives, right? We know that. Now, the clues for how to do that are hiding in plain view in the menstrual cycle. It's um, interesting how it is all connected, but then also how you as an individual can apply it to your context. Because you could be in a Western culture or an Eastern culture and it's all relevant and it's all necessary because I really do think that by doing this, you know, uh, following our cycle, understanding our body, listening to our body, practicing intuition, we, yeah, like you were saying, can reclaim our power. But then also we don't have that, that heaviness, that negativity. We, it's, we sort of break free of all of that throughout, yeah, practicing around our, our cycle. It's really powerful. <laughs> no, it made sense to me. It really did. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because you're very vocal about menopause, which I, I don't find often. Um, that's something that uh, nobody really talks about, to be honest. Another clue so, that it holds power. Yes, absolutely. So you call yourself, you're a self-proclaimed post-menopausal grandmother. And I just love that you call yourself that. But what has menopause taught you? So much. Tell like, me. You know, as a midwife, I didn't think there could be possibly anything more transformational than childbirth until I went through menopause. And yeah. what... Um, I think the biggest thing that menopause taught me... So I'm, I turned 64 this year. I'm 63 now. My last period was when I was 56, which was 18 months after my other last period. So, you know, that's interesting. So menopause is not something to get diagnosed. Like, oh, you're in menopause now because it's been one year. Like... That's not how it works. It, it stops when it stops. Like everything is in its own timing. But it, so it taught me that. But it taught me, it taught me that I needed to remember what I'd learned from giving birth. So remember what I was saying before about surrender, trust yes. and presence. So I needed, I needed to remember those to negotiate and navigate my massive transformation that menopause brought because otherwise had I not remembered that and I didn't remember it until I remembered it and basically what happened is that I was back at square one trying to avoid things trying to avoid feeling not surrendering which is my default my so so if you mm -hmm. if you you meet your defaults at these rites of passage your enculturation so I met all of that and Basically, once I remembered my birth formula, which is this practice of figuring out the teachings of your birth so you can remember it for your next birth or mm -hmm. your next rite of passage, in this case menopause, once I remembered I needed to surrender, trust and be present, 
then it was easy for me to be with menopause instead of freaking out about what was changing and what wasn't and blah, blah, blah. And it also taught me that whoever you are is a result of what life has taught you and it prepares you for the next thing so long as you remember it. So that's like a key thing. So for all you birthing women, figure out your birth formula and get the sequence in chronological order and keep it somewhere so you can remember where it is and use it at menopause. So you don't have to have a repeat performance at menopause like your first birth to teach you about whatever it is you need to learn about. There were things in my menopause journey that that changed, that needed to change, that I didn't even want to change. You know, like it was a whole... It was like an energy came over me of like, stop fucking fooling yourself. Like, that's not okay, for example. You need to change. This is me talking to myself, but not even realizing yeah. it. So things fell away that I was kind of wanting to keep doing, for example. And, and I've had much sexual healing because, you know, the beginning of something impacts the the whole story so like how you're how you are initiated into your sexuality and for a lot of us it's you know not even with consent actually which yeah. is really bad but the the sexual journey of menopause is huge especially in our culture when we are you know post-menopause a bit old dried up and yeah. blah yeah. and blah useless trade in for the younger model blah 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 mm -hmm. so in our culture that's a big part of menopause is is around am i even sexually attractive anymore what's my value now etc 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 so confronting that ha is huge and was huge for me and i learned some you know and even just recently like it's not even a a thing that happens overnight. So I'm like um, seven years since my last period and I'm still having hot flushes and, and still learning about how my childhood is impacting my, my experience now and I'm more resourced to be able to figure stuff out. So it's, it's just so big, so big. And as I, I mentioned earlier, I started the School of Shamanic Womancraft at the beginning of my perimenopausal journey without even realizing that it was. And that's the thing about menopause. That's It's like, it's the initiation into our wise woman years, our, our time when we can receive our mission for life. And I did that without even knowing that, if you know what I mean. And, mm -hmm. and so I think that menopause is being talked about a bit more. Apparently, it's one of the largest demographics of Western women, of postmenopausal women, and you know most of them are trying to look young and pretend that things are the same, which is what we've been taught to do. You know, from the menstrual cycle, just carry on regardless and don't yeah. draw any attention to your weaknesses, etc. And you know, so menopause is is a big one to reclaim, and and that is that because it goes against the patriarchal ideal of the feminine. You know which is basically to be sexually available and um, as beautiful as possible, looking, at, looking like you're 25 or so. So menopause was a massive and continues to be a massive teacher to me.
love that. And because, yeah, it's very different to the narrative that I hear. Uh, but yeah, I see the power in it. Absolutely. So what do you want every woman and girl to know if you could tell them one thing? Okay. Well, I think it is that we need to awaken from the patriarchal slumber spell that we're under that has us ignorant to our power, both personally and collectively, that that is not okay anymore. And what we need to be are the women the earth needs now. They're not rolling over and doing what they're told. The women the earth needs now need to be agents of the goddess, working for the earth to ensure that all the creatures, all the animals, all the trees and the plants and the ground, everything, the ocean, the air, we need to work together to make sure that our great-great-grandchildren are going to inherit something that they can live on, not... Mm. You know, like, so, so wake up, unite with each other, do your healing work and be the woman the earth needs now. Mm. I love it. Thank you so much, Jane. I have learned so much just through being able to bounce off you and sort of having these epiphanies. I'm sorry if I was sort of all over the place trying to gather my thoughts. Um, But no, thank you for all the work that you do. And we need our wise women and I'm grateful for the work that you do. And I'm continuing to learn so much. So thank you so much, Jane. Thank you, Amberlee. And good on you for what you're doing. And I saw on your website that your whole mission is to talk about the things that often don't get talked about and that you want to call out the gaps and expose the biases. That's what we need to do. So good (laughs) on you and thank you for doing it. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.